Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got two very interesting characters with me. I've got Miles and Giles. Welcome to the show, Miles Arnott and Giles Mail. Thank you. Has you been here? I'm expecting a Miles and Giles joke here. <laughs> we, we only have one. We, so before we got involved with Full Stack, Miles and I were in our own consultancy. So there were genuinely times where we would go into clients, the two of us, and we would introduce ourselves as Miles and Giles, which somehow got a, a laugh out of people. But there you go. Okay, great. You mentioned there Full Stack. You two are working together in, in Full Stack at the moment. Can you tell us something more about that? Yeah, so we've been doing this for about two years. It's not just us. It, it's me, Miles, and another co-founder, Kenny Whitelaw-Jones. And then we've got a team behind us that basically help us run a financial modeling, data visualization, and analytics training program and community. So it's it's probably not a million miles dissimilar from, from you know what you do at Grow CFO, where we've got a, an accreditation training journey that's self-paced but with our support but then it's a community as well of people from all over the world all different levels of experience with with modeling and at different points in their career coming from different industries and yeah we we take people through a, a very structured program and then on top of that you get to leverage this awesome group of people that are very passionate about what they do very very happy to support each other and yeah, it's, it's our passion project, really. It's, it's our baby, and we've got huge plans for, for the next couple of years. Brilliant. So if folk want to know more about Full Stack Modeler, where do they go? I'd start with our website. So there's www.fullstackmodeler.com. We take people in in cohort, and there's a bit of flexibility on that. If it's kind of teams looking to come in, we run free seven-day open weeks before each new cohort begins. So you can actually come in and do a sort of free trial of what it is to be in full stack. But but yeah, I would I'd go to the to the website first and have a look at what we we share there. Yeah, that's where you're perhaps a little bit different at full stack modeler to to us grow CFO. We're looking at the huge range of skills that a CFO needs. And we've got the CFO competency framework. And all our training material tends to try to take the CFO or the future CFO to a certain level in each of those, those nine competencies where you're, you're taking the, the one area of financial modeling and going very, very deep on that, which is something we don't cover in Grow CFO. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to, to have a chat about that. So you're teaching potential modelers, existing modelers that take their skills to the next level. Typically, though, what are those models used for that you're, you're teaching people to build? Miles, I'll let you go because I'm always guilty of just talking too much. So, <laughs> Yeah, so it's a really interesting question, Kevin, because as Giles said, we've got a real range of people joining us in the membership. So the content is aimed at our first element of the course is called Excel Mastery, and that's really taking anyone who does anything in any kind of model in Excel to go through the core skills of building a model in a structured and a robust way and a kind of standardized approach. 
and then up into financial modeling and then up into the visualization. So in reality, whilst we go very deep into one sector, it does cover within our sector a very broad remit of everything that a finance director or an analyst would look to do in modeling. So anything from you know, changing processes and automating processes, doing reporting, doing your standard forecasting, so a three-statement forecast model, and then up into your automated reporting using something like Power BI as well. So a real range of that skill set that you'd need as a finance director, someone in FP&A, or someone generally in finance who's using Excel, which let's face it, is pretty much all of us, I think. So. Yeah, <laughs> this is still something I, I have problems getting my head around, Miles, because I remember back in the day, this wonderful shiny box arrived in our office in BDO when I was training to be a chartered accountant. And we all sort of looked at it and scratched our heads and thought, what on earth do we use this for? And then we found this program on there. It was called SuperCalc, one of the forerunners to Excel. And it was this piece of analysis paper that was 256 rows deep and 32 columns wide. Oh, and you could put some formulas in it. So we scratched our heads and thought, oh, what could we do with this? And we started messing around and started working out how to do some tax calculations in it. Then somebody got the bright idea that uh, for, a, for a small group of companies, we, we might be able to do the accounts consolidation in it. And it kind of grew from there. And I ventured on from that into Lotus 123, which I still think was a brilliant product and a shame it doesn't exist anymore, and got uh, forced eventually into kicking and screaming to take up Excel. But I've built some pretty sophisticated models in my time, but I don't think I've ever been on a training course. I was going to say that's not unusual. It's, I think, probably just from both of our experience, you know, being in employed roles and consultancy and contracting. I think a lot of people for a long time have self-taught. You know, you have a challenge that you face on a project at work and if you don't know how to do it, will you now anyway, you go to Google or you go to YouTube and you try and find somebody else that's done it before. So it's why we start where we do on mastery and best practice standards, because actually, even though there's not one universal agreed sort of way of doing it, there are some pretty consistent best practice approaches that a surprisingly small number of people doing this sort of work, I think, are aware of. And um And, you know, you just touched on the kind of development from Lotus to Excel. Even now, we're finding with things like the power tools in Excel, power query, power pivot, the data model, there are just layers to to what you can do. And, And again, power query for us is a total game changer. We talk about it all the time when we speak to people. And uh, it's a really nice kind of feedback loop for us when we see people learning those power query skills. We've just been talking to a client that that we might be doing some work for soon who have a 12-hour manual process that they run every month, and we can probably cut it down with them to, you know, three clicks of a button. So it's pretty game-changing. Wow, that is game-changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I remember trying to do clever things back in Lotus 123 with macros to to automate loads of stuff. But uh, ever since I had the need with Excel to learn Visual Basic, I gave up on that game. Yeah, because it's it's coding, isn't it? And I think there's probably two camps of people, you know, when you get into this space, you've got people that are very comfortable with coding and then people that aren't. And I was always, you know, less comfortable with it. Miles, I think you loved a bit of VBA. But what you can do in Power Query is probably 
90% of what you could do in VBA. And if you don't want to write a single line of code, you don't have to, which, which I think is great. Fantastic. Um, turns out I might be coming on one of your courses. I, I, I must admit, I, I don't know a thing about Power Query, so it sounds like something that's probably worth finding out about. Yeah, Power Query is awesome. So it's, it's interesting. So yeah, I was a real VBA person back in the day. I when I discovered it, I automated everything, which was probably going a little bit too far. But but yeah, we don't you know we don't <laughs> teach VBA anymore as a core piece. You know, we can cover it, but the main pieces to use power query because it's just a really nice easy low code really nice user interface for doing that piece of bringing data in transforming it and dropping it back back into your model so my almost everything that i would have done in vba i now use power query for just a really small few bits like print macros that i've been in macros now and interesting you say about lotus one two three kevin so my first ever job was to take a model from Lotus into Excel. So I'm kind of a little behind you on the curve there, but um, that was my uh, my first piece. But um, we put in the in our miscellany, so we have a weekly newsletter that goes out. We found something, someone's actually brought Lotus back to life. So Kevin, you might want to plug into that one. But, oh, um, wow. Yeah. yeah, someone on a Linux machine has brought it back to life and it's their kind of life project to, to bring it back to us. So that will be an interesting one, I think. That sounds fantastic. Must have a look at that. I used to be a bit of a Linux geek in, in days gone by. I had this, this idea once upon a time, oh, wouldn't it be nice if you could run a, a computer system that didn't involve Microsoft? <laughs> I, I, I got a, a reasonable way forward. The problem is clients, and clients seem to like Excel and Word and PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, we see a lot of examples where companies try to bring in a, another system uh, you know, the Anaplans and things like this of the world. And quite often they will go back to Excel. I've just been speaking to somebody else who's gone through that journey because people are just comfortable in Excel. We, we always used to say in, in our live training models, you know, one of Excel's greatest strengths is that you can do almost anything in any way you want to, which is also one of its greatest weaknesses because unfortunately people do pick up Excel and do things in lots of different ways. And if you haven't got that structure and those principles of best practice in your head, then I think it's more about what happens when you share your model with somebody else that you might be able to understand it. And that's great for you. But if you pass it over to somebody else and it's, it causes them to you know lose sleep, and even I would say you coming back to a model six months down the line, if you haven't thought about it, you know, I've been in that position before where you kick yourself. You think, you know, why, why did I do that six months ago? And what was I thinking? That was a lot earlier in my career, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> That's one of the challenges with, um, with kind of Googling stuff and looking on YouTube is you can learn a function, but you don't necessarily learn how to put it into practice well. And very often people do some really kind of clever stuff in Excel where they put like really complex formally into one cell. And for us, it's about trying to move away from that and think about the user that's going to pick it up. And to Giles's point, because I've been there myself, picking a model up that you did three, six months ago, and you can't even remember anything about it. You need to make sure the models are built nicely and in a way that um, people can pick them back up afterwards and understand what's going on. And I think sometimes on Google, you just learn how to do the function and not how to apply it properly. Yeah. So take take somebody like me who's probably been using spreadsheets and building probably from time to time some pretty big, some pretty powerful models, but entirely self-taught for the best part of 20 plus years. If a person like that was to come along into, into full stack and start interacting with yourselves, 
what typically would you find the the major things that those folk had developed say as as bad habits or not quite best practice yeah so a lot of consistency in what we see and it's the journey that somebody like you would probably go on is firstly kind of the shock of what we're going through and the fact that it's very different to what you might have learned unlearning those bad habits absolutely and quite often you know it's crazy nested formulas you know you'll find people that use if and and or for for almost everything so it's almost retraining to seek out simplicity in everything you're doing but to be honest a lot of the people that we've got in the community that are probably similar to you i think go on the best journey because if you've been doing this for 20 30 years it's quite you know it's quite a, an amazing step to go through at that stage of your career to go oh my god they're like there's a completely different way of doing this and it adds value uh, so yeah you should come and join i should and I, i've got a challenge in gross cfo at the moment that we seriously need to get on top of our kpi reporting and i've done past projects that have, have built an entire balance scorecard in excel but i'm going to start again probably trying to to integrate data from all over the place the problem in the past of doing things like that i've found is that you know what you want to measure but there's no data these days the opposite problem there's there's too much data and uh, you're trying to figure out which bits are important but uh, i definitely need to be starting to pull date the the right bits of data in all over the place automate it as much as possible so you don't have to think about updating the reports every month so there may well be a role for me to to step into full stack and have a good look at at what I can pick up on dealing with you know, APIs into other systems and and things like that. You'd yeah. probably find as well, you know, the tool side of thing. Choosing tools is really important, and you know, Power BI is a really good example that Miles and I have have gone on our own journeys with in the last few years. You know, we've seen a lot of instances where people come to us and they've been told they need to use Power BI in a company. And when you push on them on the reason, it's just oh, because somebody else has seen it and they thought it was great. Power BI can be quite tricky for financial modeling. And there's a whole story behind why that's the case with the way your data is structured. So if you've got a really good use case for Power BI, it's a great tool. But having that ability and that awareness to step back and, and think really early on in a project, you know, should I be using Power BI? Who's going to be using this information and the outputs of the model? Quite often, I still think Excel's the best tool for certain projects. Mm. Just cut you off there before you. That's end. right. You know, I'm going to say more or less than the same. Um, the only bit I'd add is that we've got um, a Microsoft MVP on the visualization side of things because whatever tool you use, if it's Excel or Power BI, it's how you tell the story and how you communicate that in the clearest and best way. So we've got Jordan Goldmeyer, who's a Microsoft MVP, who does that part of the training for us because he's a real expert in delivering that, that content. And it, it kind of, for me, whatever tool it is, it's how you tell the story. That's the bit that's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, the numbers by themselves just bore people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gile, Miles has explained the sort of things that they'd expect uh, an FD to want out of modelling. What about other things? And I know you've got experience in bidding, in management accounting. What typically are the the uses that you'd be looking to get out of sophisticated modeling in Excel? 
I mean, there's a range and I can talk a bit to my own personal experience and then maybe a little bit to what else I'm aware of. But, you know, I used to work on big teams. So, you know, submitting information back for RFPs where you, you've got pricing templates. You know, quite often for me, it was for something from the government. So you had to do a huge amount of cost analysis and pricing analysis, scenario modeling. And off the back of that, a lot of DCF modeling. So that can get really complex, especially when you've got lots of different scenarios and lots of subject matter experts that you've got to take information from and and pull through into a model. And also the other thing for that is that's very much a forecast model type. And if you're dealing with something like FP&A, I think FP&A is a really interesting area because you're quite often dealing with forward-looking information and, and forecasts, and you're looking at historic data as well. And you kind of have to cover those two skill sets of how you deal with data and how you build reliable forecasts. So there's that management accounting I did for a year and, and found it one of the most boring years of my life. So I got out of that as quickly as I <laughs> I can't tell you how uninterested I, I was in whether Ian should have spent £150 more on his credit card than he budgeted for. It, it just drove me nuts. Uh, but but again, in that you quite often you were using accounting systems. You were dealing with you know journal entries and and TBs, and that's where we get into that automation piece because a lot of what I used to do then, and it was a long time ago, was very manual. I think one of the best use cases we see now is Power Query with automating that month end process into a dynamic actuals plus forecast model that you can update all your forecasts based on your latest data. But there's tons of other use cases for financial models. You know, if you look at things like the investment banking kind of sector, again, very heavily kind of looking at cash flow and and valuations, lots of different things in sort of corporate finance teams. If I was going to try and simplify it down a little bit, I think that distinction between forecast, you know, forward-looking models and backwards looking models and then those that cover both is quite a nice one miles would you add anything to that i think I've covered oh, i think it. no i think you covered it well but yeah i only to say that for full stack we cover kind of all three of those the the two extremes of actuals analysis and visualization the kind of forecasting stuff but then also that piece of combining them together which giles is the hardest bit isn't it when you try and bring actuals and for, forecast together to get that rolling forecast that's a yeah it's a challenging build up yeah, really difficult. Yeah. I think that the thing that comes across to me is there are so many different applications that how do you go about teaching this stuff when you're, you're building a model for so many different purposes? I'm thinking of my own consulting experience, and a lot of it has been building business cases. Uh, it sounds as though you and I, Giles, both have public sector experience. Yeah. And you know, you'd be looking for, in, in some cases, building some sort of model for the investment case that had a a best case, worst case, most likely case, or what are the confidence limits around the, the most likely case? And you'd be doing risk analysis in the model and three-point estimates and clever things like that. Yeah, and we went into areas, even when I was doing this 10 years ago, you know, using tools like at-risk to essentially, you know, deliver stochastic outputs rather than you know, deterministic. I was using tools like Oak early on to properly review spreadsheets. So, 
you know, there, there are key phases, I think, in any model project or a project that involves a model that, that you should go through, you know, scoping it properly, coming up with a really good build plan before you start tapping away in Excel, actually the build process, and that's where you lean on standards heavily. But then after you've built it, you know, you don't stop there, even though you might want to, you've got to review it properly. And ideally, it shouldn't be you doing the build and then the review because you you get that kind of blind sight to obvious errors that other people would see. So there's a whole range of things you can do when you get into a review phase that could involve tools, but can involve external parties. Talk, talk me through that process. You certainly... I can remember one particular instance where I got very unstuck by an error in one cell in a very complicated model. So how would you go about, say, say you're building something, but you're going to hand this model over perhaps to the client and you want to know with a reasonable amount of confidence that that model's right and it's going to produce the correct answer going forward. What's the process you go through with that? There's different processes. So the kind of most basic level, you know, from when Miles and I were doing this, you, you probably are reviewing your own work. So something I've seen CFOs do a lot, which I think is unbelievably powerful, is the back of a fag packet check first. Actually, if you just stepped away and on a piece of paper or with a calculator tried to figure out what's our average selling price and expected volume of sales for if you're manufacturing something, what do we think that comes out as as a ballpark number? And is the model telling me that? That's a really good check. Another really good tip is often sleep. So if you get to midnight and you've been sweating away in a model for a week or two, don't try and review it immediately. Just go to bed and come back to it with a fresh mind. But then you get into tools and very structured processes. So something like Oak or NXT, which is a free tool from Numeritas and a few others, they give you similar outputs. And, and the most important ones are a visual map, which turns all of the characteristics of your individual cells on a tab or every tab in a model into a, an icon of some sort. So you can very quickly produce this map and see where the distinct formula or the unique formula are. And you can see where they've been copied across. And what it highlights really quickly is if you've got somebody that's plugged in a number in you know month 12 of your 48 month timeline it'll jump out at you so there's, there's, it's a really nice way to just within five minutes pull out the most obvious errors in consistency for me that view of it also tells you about the person that built the spreadsheet because if they followed a standardized good approach it will be a nice consistent layout and you only need to review one column if it's all over the place, then you know the person building it has kind of gone for a very ad hoc approach. But yeah, sorry, Giles, I interrupted. No, no, it's great. And the other thing it gives you usually is the detail of the, the model itself. So that I, I mentioned it earlier, but the list of unique formula is something that even if you went to like a big four accounting firm and, and paid tens of thousands for an official model audit, at least when I was doing this with them, it may have changed the process since they would take that list of unique formula, which might be thousands of, of rows deep, and somebody would literally check every single one manually and grade it with like a one, two, three, you know, material error, possible error, but not on the current settings or best practice issue, or they'll ask a question. There's also things like shadow modeling. So a lot of model auditing companies will literally 
recreate a model based on the same assumptions and drivers and then look at what the output from their model is versus the model that you've submitted for review. And that gives them a sort of cross check of what they think it should be telling you versus what you've got coming out. And there's probably a whole range of levels in between, you know, even even just between me and Miles, you know, quite often if we have the capacity, I'd finish a model and I'd hand it over to him and say, look, can you just do a review of this for me? And I would trust his kind of pedantic nature <laughs> to pull me up. <laughs> on <I said> wrong. <laughs> Two other bits I'd add to that. And yeah, I am definitely a pedant. Uh, two bits I would add is that um, setting everything to zero and then just kind of plugging something in. So rev- a really good example is three statement model, clear everything down, put some revenue in and see that flow through a model from start to finish. And then the other one is some software will do like a tornado analysis. So you can point it at an output in the model and it will tell you which inputs are the most important ones, which have the biggest levers within your model. And therefore, which are the inputs you need to validate most importantly. So it's the ones that, that you need to go away and talk to members in the business of to make sure they're correct. Because it's not always the formula that's wrong. It can be your assumptions as well. And you know, the best way to find all of your errors is to not make them in the first place. And that's where the best practice stuff comes in. You know, we say that as part of our kind of trading journey, that the importance of the standards is really about minimizing the chance of you building errors. And the other one actually off the top of my head is is late changes. So the, the importance of the scoping phase and the planning phase is that you don't get 90% of the way through the project build and then realize that your model doesn't do what you need it to do and you have to start changing things around. And if Kenny was on this call, our other co-founder, he'd, he'd be on my case now because there is another way of doing this and it's more of an agile modeling approach. So his team used this at Gridlines where you just don't have the benefit of those structured stages where you go scope, plan, build, review, live. The model for them in project finance is quite often a developing tool that leads to more commercial you know, discussions and insights. So, so they have to work on more of a you know, constant update and review basis, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, that kind of brings us back to where we started. Your training folk in full stack modeler what typically would you say the skills are that somebody like me should be or somebody getting into modeling in a big way should be ticking the box on what are the five or six core things that we really ought to know i'm keeping quiet miles because i feel like i've talked way it's a really interesting question so (laughs) like your obvious ones are if you're going to use excel then excel functions and functionality and just having a good understanding of how they work and how they properly work. Next, I'd go straight for standards. So Giles and I both kind of discovered the FAST standard, which is a standard for three-statement modeling um, a number of years ago. And for me, it was a real revelation coming from more of an FP&A background to see this standardized approach. So definitely a, a standard would be in there, that, that idea of taking a standardized approach. Next, I'd actually go almost on the business analyst side of things. So that ability to look at a business and understand the logic behind it in a way that you can then design a model because that model design and specification piece is so important before you start um, building model you might have noticed giles said the first thing we do is you you talk to the client about the spec and then you design it out before you touch your 
your spreadsheet. So that piece for me is is really important. Um, then up into visualization. So can you properly visualize what your outputs are? Can you do it in a way that's really clear and obvious and tells the story? And then finally, embrace tech. And I can say that because I, I head up the tech side of full stack. So look at what other technologies out there. You know, I'm a complete Excel geek. I come from that background, work as a finance director, but I'm always looking at what tech is out there that we can use to leverage. And there are definitely areas where tech is really valuable. So even in the model build area now, so things like OpenBox, which will build a three-statement model in Excel for you, something like Bricks, which will do that online. Um, Giles mentioned some of the testing software out there. Um, having knowledge of what software is out there that will help you review your model is really helpful. And then there's loads of visualization stuff and, and things that will do forecasting on cash flow and take your models and allow you to do really good scenario analysis as well. So that balance of all of those core skills, which is basically our full stack of technologies and, and knowledge that we take people through, are the areas that I think you need to have to be that complete and well-rounded modeler. Would you add anything to that, Giles, or is that a... Uh... I would... The only thing I would add is I think, you know, for me, what we've tried to do at Full Stack is... So this is what we've seen a lot of. You've got one Excel guru at a company, and that Excel guru might be doing loads of stuff in VBA or whatever it is, but everybody turns to that one person in a finance team or wider team, and they do all the hard work. And then the typical challenge is that person leaves, and you're left with a load of models that nobody can operate. And I think one of our biggest aims is to take teams in and upskill them all. So that you're never in that position where the skills are all in one place. Uh, so, so yeah, Miles covered them all, the technical skills. But actually, for me, it's more about the awareness to understand when you use tech, how you're going to build it, how you communicate with people as well. How do you actually go through a scoping phase and know what the right questions are to ask to get the information you need? How do you know when you've got to the point where you've got enough information? to then go and start your planning phase. So it's much more than just, you know, learning what index match does, or I should probably use something more modern now, like XLOOKUP or Lambda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that has really been an eye-opener for me, is I finally understand why you call yourselves full stack, because there is a full stack of skills that you need here to do this properly. I'm probably realizing from a personal point of view, some of the things I've got missing. Certainly, I must admit, I go into Excel trying to find out how to use a particular function. And I look down this function list and I see two or 300 functions listed. Well, have I ever used more than about a dozen of them? Probably not. Mm. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to learn. And certainly if if you're in a a smallish business and you need to grow your ability to analyze financial and non-financial information and you need somebody in the team who is an expert at doing these sorts of things i'd certainly direct you to miles and giles at full stack gentlemen thank you very much for a brilliant conversation thanks Kevin. thank you very much 